Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery, our true crime podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Heather, and I know absolutely nothing about true crime. And my name is Jillian, and I consider myself somewhat of a true crime expert. Yes, Jill is our resident true crime expert. And we created this podcast so that Jill could teach me about all things true crime, both locally and nationally, and to take you guys along for the journey, so that if you too know nothing about true crime, you can learn something. Or maybe hear another perspective about stories you already know. Okay, so this case takes place on the evening of February 3rd of 1972 in Boone, North Carolina. On this specific night, a super harsh snowstorm was brewing. There was about four inches of snow and winds were 40 miles per hour. The Durham family was taking shelter in their home on Clyde's Townsend Road. Their family consisted of Bryce and his wife, Virginia. Bryce owned a Buick dealership and Virginia was the bookkeeper. Their son, Bobby, also lived with them. He was either 18 or 19 years old and had just started his first year of school at the Appalachian State University. They also had a 19-year-old daughter named Jenny. However, she lived less than five miles away from them with her husband, Troy Hall. That day before the snowstorm started, Bryce was attending a meeting at the Rotary Club. When the snowstorm started, a friend followed Bryce back to the dealership where Virginia had been working late on the books. Bobby met his parents at the dealership, even though I'm pretty sure he was supposed to go to some sort of sporting game, but skipped. They all arrived home about 9 p.m. During the snowstorm, Jenny and Troy were both home, and around 10.30 that night, they got a phone call saying some men had Bobby and Bryce, and then the phone hung up. Troy was the one who answered it, and he didn't know that it was Virginia. He kind of, like, thought it was a prank phone call, I guess, because it was, like, maybe she was, like, whispering or murmuring or something like that. Okay. So he didn't really think anything of it, but... How could you not? He thought it was, like, a practical joke, but, like, how would... I mean, using specific names... Yeah. If it was, like, is your refrigerator running, that would be one thing, but it's, like... If somebody called me and was like, Brian and Gina, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, like, Like, literally. Yeah. So, um. What it would be like to not have anxiety, I guess. (laughs) We'll never know. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Because if anybody called me and said, I have somebody, I would be like, oh my god, who is it? I, I mean. I would, like, start running through a list in my head of, like, who do I know and who might they have? Yeah. I get that way with text messages, too. Like. Even if it's, like, the wrong number, I'm like, is it really the wrong number? Or, like, do they know who I am? And they're like, I don't know. Yeah. But also the opposite way because um, my best friend's stepdad got a new phone number. And his name's Mark. Very generic white man name. Mm-hmm. And I got a text message that said, uh, this is Mark, got a new number. And I thought it was a sex trafficker. <laughs> because... <laughs> you know like that was my first instinct was that like i'm not gonna reply to this so then like i never saved it and i meant to ask um him about it and i completely forgot about it until he tried to call me and i didn't answer it because i thought it was a spam caller mark the sex trafficker is calling me i did i told his wife i was like i seriously thought that mark was a sex trafficker when he texted me because that's like a scam thing yeah um anyway oh well jenny did have anxiety and she was very like, nervous, and she tried to call her parents back, and they didn't 
answer the phone, obviously. And then she got super nervous and she wanted to go drive to her parents' house, but her car wouldn't start. But ironically enough, Jenny's neighbor, Cecil Small, happened to be a private detective. And after seeing how worried Jenny was, he drove her and Troy to her parents' house. But apparently her parents' home was like on a hill that was like too dangerous to drive up. So Jenny waited in the car while Troy and Cecil walked up to the Durnham's home. When they entered, they noticed that the home had been destroyed and ransacked. There was blood splattered all over. Oh, no. Yeah. All over the den. The TV was on and the telephone was ripped off of the wall. There was also a sound of running water that could be heard from the den over like the TV. So... The two went to the bathroom where they unfortunately found Bryce, Virginia, and Bobby deceased with their heads draped over the overflowing bathtub. What? Yeah. So, like, they were, like, passed away and they weren't in the bathtub, but their heads were, like... In the bathtub. Like, like leaning over the bathtub, you know? Weird. Yeah. Troy called the police from a neighbor's apartment because the phone had been ripped. Makes sense. This was at 10.50 p.m. Once an investigation had started, they found a half-eaten baked chicken dinner on the kitchen table, as well as a bank bag full of $100 bills. It was deemed that nothing in the house had been stolen, though it was ransacked. There was a green and white SUV that was seen leaving the Durham's home around 10.30 that night, and they found the SUV a few miles down the road a couple hours later, with the motor still running. Inside the SUV was a bag of silver, and they later found that this was a SUV from the Buick dealership, and that Bryce had taken it home because of the bad weather. It was determined that Virginia was killed by strangulation while Bobby and Bryce had been drowned, but all three had evidence of rope burns on their neck. Police were unsure of a motive initially, thinking robbery that had gone wrong, but that didn't really make sense because nothing was taken and there was literally a bank bag in plain view. Yeah. So you would think that would... Yeah. Um, Some people thought that... It's kind of weird, though, that I don't understand why you would completely destroy someone's house unless you were, like, looking for something. Unless it's just in a struggle. True. You would think either struggle struggle, or they're searching for something or they just wanted to make it look like it had been. Why, though? For what purpose? In case they had, like, another motive. I don't know. I watch, you know, when you watch, like, NCIS or something, like, they'll be, like, a hit and they'll make it look like they, like, committed suicide or that they were mugged or something. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of strange to me. Yeah, True. Especially since you'd think they'd actually take something to make it look more realistic, but... Yeah, I mean, they did take something, a bag of silver, right? Yeah, but they just left it there. Yeah, so, like, that's what I'm saying. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, Some people did think that it was drug-related. However, the investigators ruled this out. Some did say that Bryce had, like, a scam dealership ring. Oh, Where he, have you seen, like, Matilda? 
Yes. Where he's like rolling back. Yeah. Okay, that's what some people like said that Bryce did with his dealership. Okay, if you haven't seen Matilda, the dad um like basically lies on all these cars and he changes the number of miles and like pretends like things are fixed when they're broken, things like that. Sells lemons. Yeah. Yeah. To make more money, obviously. Right. And to screw over the customer. True. And he was a terrible father in the movie. Also true, but not related. Not related. Bryce seems <laughs> nice. But there was no evidence that Bryce had sold any. Like, there was no angry customers that they could find. So that didn't really make sense. Because it's not like you're just going to sell one lemon and then nobody says anything after that. Yeah. So a lemon is like a car that's like bad. They also suspected that it may have been a military personnel or multiple people because it would be pretty hard for one person to overtake three people, including two males Mm -hmm. that were in, you know, pretty good physical shape, especially like a teenager or yeah, I guess a teenager. But some people also thought that maybe it had something to do with the green berets. Why? Because he... Because remember earlier at the Rotary Club, the father had went to that meeting. It was a meeting with the, the Green Braves. I'm confused. That was just speculation by some people because I guess that was kind of like the last place he was seen. Okay. Other than like he went there and then he went to the dealership and then went home. But that was like ruled out. Somebody also thought that somebody had hired a professional hitman, but that was also a dead end. Eventually, four unnamed men were arrested in connection, but released due to lack of evidence. There were fingerprints at the scene. However, they were unable to find a match. Police reran the fingerprints multiple times over the years. However, the case was still cold as they were unable to find any matches. When DNA evidence became more relevant, from my understanding, they looked into it. However, the DNA that they did find at the scene had been subjected to elements and it was unusable. Gotcha. Yeah, which sucks. But the first major break in the case didn't come until 47 years after the murders. This was when Shane Burt went to the White County Sheriff's Office in Georgia to help with some research that was being put together for a book pertaining to crimes that happened in Georgia. Shane was the son of Billy Sunday Burt, who was involved in a crime network that was called the Dixie Mafia. Shane's father, Billy, had died in 2017 in prison. He was in prison for murders that he had committed in the 70s. And though he was in prison, Shane said that he was still really close to his father and that he visited him often. It was in one of these visits that Billy told his son about how he had killed three people in North Carolina in the mountains during a snowstorm and how they almost got caught. Now, keep in mind that this is happening in Georgia. Mm-hmm. But the sheriff's office in Georgia contacted the sheriff's office in North Carolina that handled the case, and they let them know the tip that they had received, but it wasn't really a tip. Like, dude was just talking, and then they kind of, like, were like, oh, like, there's another murder, and kind of, like, pieced it together. Yeah. So they just gave them that information, thinking that it could be important. And they immediately, in North Carolina, began investigating into the Dixie Mafia, which, aside from Shane's father, Billy Burt, contained members Billy Wayne Davis, Bobby Jean Gaddis, and Charles David Reed. As we know, Billy had passed away in 2017, 
and the only remaining member of the Dixie Mafia was Billy Davis, who was 81 years old and serving life in prison in Georgia for other murders. Police interviewed Billy over the years and ultimately were able to find out that the four men were hired for a hit on the family. Billy said that he was only the get a- getaway driver, of course, you know. He said that he didn't. You're yeah. 81, I you're mean, serving yeah. life in prison, like, you have no reason to, like, why? So maybe it was true. I mean, maybe, but, like, I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe, like, he really had nothing to lose. And I feel like nine times out of ten, they're like, yeah, I did it. So maybe yeah. he really, truly was the getaway driver in this in this scenario. He clearly murdered other people. True. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, he has nothing to lose. But he did, he did say he was only, only the getaway driver. But unfortunately, Bryce's mother, Kali, was no longer here to see the case get put to rest. Though that's literally all that she had talked about for the remainder of her life. According to an in- interview in 1989, the then 98-year-old said that she just wanted her case of her son to be solved. Which is, is so sad. Troy and Jenny are no longer married, but Jenny said that she would like to thank all of the people who worked for decades on her family's case, and she knows they sacrificed many days and weekends in order to solve this now 50-year-old case. I know this was a little different, but I do think it is a good reminder for those that have unsolved crimes where maybe there is no DNA evidence or no physical evidence that maybe one day, you know, all it takes is somebody saying something, even unknowingly saying something for a book about a meeting that he had for things to get put together and, you know, solved. Yeah, that's cool. I'm unsatisfied, though. Uh, How most of them are dead? No. I'm unsatisfied because we don't know why they were hired to kill these people. Yeah, and that was the other thing I was going to say. So um, the last thing is that Shane said that he wanted the truth to emerge about his father and his father uh, passed away of suicide. He said, quote, he told me that if he could apologize to every single victim of Billy Sunday Burt, he would. Shane said that. Um, And that he's not trying to glorify his father, but his father was indeed a murderous man who killed dozens of people. He just wanted to provide closure to a lot of people. End quote. Which I think is good. I think that's good, too. Right. But, like, if somebody hired this Dixie Mafia to go and murder this seemingly normal family i would like to know why and i that was my closing because i didn't i didn't see anything that said why even though this was solved like you know this wasn't solved i think it was solved like last year but it's like i don't know if they know i feel like your case isn't really closed until and you don't really have closure until you know why right you know like there have been lots of cases that we talked about where whatever, we found out that this person did it, but they were dead, so we don't know why. Right. And, like, you still aren't satisfied. Yeah. I mean, I guess knowing who committed the act, but not knowing who triggered the act. Yeah. Which maybe they do know and they just didn't say. Aren't telling us. Yeah. I mean, because the daughter did say that she had closure, but... um. I mean, and the other other thing that I didn't know. I mean, I don't think any reason would be a good reason. I'm just, like, curious. The motive. Yeah, like, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I didn't know if when 
earlier when it said they had four unnamed suspects. I Oh yeah. I'm not sure if those were the four unnamed suspects because it didn't say anywhere, but he did say to his son that he almost got caught. So I thought yeah. but I'm not sure. True. I'm not sure. And I would think that if those were the unnamed suspects, now they could be named and yeah, they would but just they probably be like also wouldn't want to say we almost had them and then we let them go. True. True. <laughs> they would be embarrassed. Right. Yeah. As would anyone. True. But But yeah, four is very specific. Right. Yeah. And him saying that they almost got caught. Well, if that wasn't them almost getting caught, then what did they do to almost get caught? Like, did a neighbor see them? Or Yeah. You know? Could add some extra layers to the case. If I think if it were I think if they were the four, they probably would have had more evidence because you said there were fingerprints. I know that there wasn't, like, DNA evidence because it got destroyed. They were fingerprints, but they said that they couldn't match them to anybody. So I don't know if that meant they were partial and they couldn't match them or if that meant they didn't match to the people. I think it probably meant they didn't match to the people because they had to release them due to lack of evidence. True. So I think that it probably wasn't them that they originally arrested. Yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, I would be curious to know why he said they almost got caught. Right. Well... Now, we'll never know. We'll never know now, but I do, I mean, this is my speculation, but I'm sure with the police interviewing that one guy who's still alive, that they have more, you know, knowledge yeah. than they released. Yeah, probably. But. They probably don't like to feed into the true crime people. Which, I've, you know, I know people have their qualms, but like some of these true crime people are getting stuff solved. Like Michelle McNamara unfortunately rest in peace but like she was like a true crime person and look what happened so yeah i agree but i'm sure there's also a lot of meddling and we we all know how gossip can can true take off well we don't need true crime people to gossip when you have small town missouri folks to do it for you 100 percent. i'm just saying like i'm sure that they've probably had cases where the people have been Causing them trouble. Well, remember in the uh, Cassidy Rainwater case where the people were going to the active crime scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the true crime people. Oh, oh. Not like, the small town people. Like, the people. So, they pro- the police probably don't want to tell us because they're probably going to, like, those people are going to spread this around and it's going to be a big game of telephone and it's going to be a pain in our behinds. It could also be that they're pursuing legal action against the people that did the hit. That paid for yeah. I hope so. So, here anyway. we are. I'm talking about closure, and I'm like, nope, there's still unanswered questions. But I did think that that was an interesting... I mean, interesting... the daughter said that she felt like she had closure, and so, cool. I'm glad that she does, but I would like to know why. Right. But I do, I do really think that maybe this could be some hope to people. Because I know with the DNA evidence... A lot of people have hope, but then, like, in some of our more recent cases where there is no DNA evidence, mm-hmm. they can feel hopeless. Well, hopefully, everyone involved, maybe they will be pursuing legal ramifications. I'm not sure of the word. I can't think of words today. Well, I mean, I don't really care if they pursue 
legal justice, whatever. Like, personally, I don't really care. And she says she's happy, and if she's happy, cool. But I personally am a curious person, so I would like to know. But I think that is the end of our story. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Jill, for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys haven't already, follow us on social media in your listening platforms. If you want to, buy some merch or some stickers. And we will be back next week with another episode. Hey, bye. Bye. Thank you.